Welcome to New City Church's podcast. We're a small non-denominational church in Nashville, Tennessee, practicing the way of Jesus together. For more information on who we are, what we do, and some resources for your faith, you can check out newcitynash.com. But we hope you enjoy this message and that it blesses you. So today's scripture reading uh, comes from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 15. And this morning, Sarah Collier, who's one of our um, elders who I've known for quite some time, is going to uh, bring a message to you about the heart. Uh, And I hope and pray that you're encouraged by it. So it's from Matthew chapter 15, starting in verse 10. I'm going to read through verse 20. And it says this. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. If one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. Then Peter said to Jesus, Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Don't you understand yet, Jesus asked. Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. We all pray with me. God, thank you so much for being here with us in this space. Um, thank you for uh, being a God who loves us and who is good and kind and cares about our hearts. As Sarah speaks um, and brings a message that you've laid on our heart, I pray that the words that come out of our mouth will be of you and nothing else, um, that everything else will fade away. And God, I pray that um, whatever we bring uh, today as we hear this message, whether that's stress, anxiety, joy, mourning, Whatever it is, uh, Lord, we bring that to you and ask that you speak to us in a really profound way. I'm reminded of uh, Pentecost um, and how uh, the Spirit descended upon the early followers of Jesus and they were able to speak in these different languages. And so, God, even as Sarah preaches, um, I pray that you would use the words that come out of our mouth to speak specifically to us in the different language and the different things that we each need to hear. And I pray this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Amen. Thanks, Ray. Hey, church. Good to see each and every one of you here. Hi, Future Church, people who will watch it or listen to it later. Um, So my context, let me give you some context about me before I get this show on the road. Um, I am a scientist. That's my profession. I'm a biomedical researcher by training, um, and I currently serve on faculty at uh, one of our local health professions programs. And so I think a lot about the body And perhaps that's why I selected this text, because it covers both the cardiovascular system and the digestive system in one passage. But I wanted to just share that if you would ask me in my professional context, tell me about the heart, Dr. Collier. I'd say, well, simply saying, it's a muscular pump in a closed circuit of tubes. It starts and ends in the exact same place. But it has a really important role, right? I don't know of anyone who has successfully survived without their heart, right? So within that context, I want to take a look at this passage in Matthew. Um, Matthew's context as he brings the word to us, um, 
He is believed to be the tax collector that was called into discipleship with Jesus, one of those close 12. So this intimate knowledge of walking with the Lord. He um, is a Jewish tax collector, and so the majority of the, the Gospel of Matthew is telling us the story of how Jesus is the Messiah, the promised Messiah, in all that he does, in fulfillment of the law, in um, a, you know, addressing all of these major um, ways of life for um, the Jews and the Gentiles at this time. So as I read, I'm going to reread that passage one more time, but I'm going to actually start at the beginning because I think it's important to understand why the Pharisees, the religious people, are so upset with Jesus. So I'm going to back up to the top of chapter 15, and as I pray, I, or as I read, I pray that I give this message out of love because we're talking about the heart, right? Good. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. And they asked him, why do your disciples disobey the age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Okay? The disciples are not washing hands before they eat, and the Pharisees are not pleased. Jesus replies, and why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespect disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say that they don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. He's basically calling them hypocrites. As it says, you hypocrites, see, I told you. <laughs> Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is farce. They teach man-made ideas and then um, as commands from God. So they have their priorities in the wrong place. They prioritize religion and tradition over purpose of the law. Then we get into our, our emphasis passage that Trey just read. Then Jesus called the crowd, so the people who had witnessed this, to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It is not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Whew. Put a pin in that. And the disciples came to him and asked, Do you realize that you offended the Pharisees, really important people at the time, by what you just said? Jesus replied, every plant not planted by my heavenly father will be uprooted, so ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. So again, their priorities and their understanding is misaligned. And then Peter said to Jesus, so disciples came, people came. Now inner circle Peter asks, explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. This speaks to the law of clean and unclean foods, okay? And then, it said, and then Jesus says, don't you understand yet, Jesus, don't you understand yet, Jesus asks, anything you eat passes through the stomach and goes into the sewer, but the words you speak come from the heart, that defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. So basically, Jesus here is setting the record straight. You know, the Pharisees, these very important people, came a very long way, 80-something miles, to have this conversation and call out the disciples. 
Think about that, on foot, by some animal transport. I mean, that still takes a lot of effort to call somebody out, I think. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is not how we're going to do things. So, right before this, Jesus had done some miraculous things. He fed 5,000 people. He also had several other exchanges with the Pharisees about things that uh, the Pharisees said were important, and Jesus said, "Mm, not so much, perhaps. He also walked on water, right? Really amazing things. But the Pharisees are stuck in this idea of fighting for the law. And when I say the law, I mean the Torah. We've been talking about um, Leviticus for some time. So, you know, thinking about the Ten Commandments with Moses, to put it in context of the Old Testament, and then all the Levitical laws and traditions that were expected to be upheld by the community. The law was created by God and given to man to create order. There was no community order before that time. So God equipped them with it. However, from that point until now, things had gotten out of hand. Priorities had shifted away from the purpose of the law, which was to unify people with God. I don't know about you, but I feel like the law is incredibly daunting. I could never live up to the law. And praise God that I live on, the, on this side of the age of grace, um, because I don't think I could. But for the Pharisees, as I mentioned, they're, they're really sticking to their tradition insofar that they're missing the entire point of Christ the Messiah standing in front of them doing all of this miraculous heaven work on earth. Francis Chan in the book Multiply refers to the Pharisees as religious overachievers, and I think that is a really appropriate um, moniker for them. So what is the point of the law? Because of the brokenness between people and God, God created a way. First, it was the law. Jesus, as we know, comes to fulfill that law. The law that they're referring to and sticking to here, or the supposed law, because it turns out they misunderstood entirely, they were referring to ceremonial laws that were supposed to be kept exclusively by the priests. But somehow it had permutated into this societal expectation that you are not fulfilling your faith tradition duty unless you wash your hands before you eat. There's a lot to be said for that. Um, Because apparently only 5% of the population washes their hands correctly. Just noodle with that for a half a second, okay? Just dry your hands after you wash them. That's all. My research shows that that's really important. The assumption is that you wash them first. but what they're talking about here is this argument of you're supposed to, the disciples should be washing their hands before they eat. Well, that was only to be reserved for priests in ceremonial context. But instead, the Pharisees said, nope, we're just going to do that. And if you don't do that, you're breaking the law. And so their perspective and their understanding is completely shifted. Equally, this clean and unclean argument is typically reserved for foods, right? Unclean foods or clean foods and where it's sourced. And Leviticus um, 11 has a whole 47 verses about it, all these different animals and what can be eaten and cannot be eaten. Um, So they've taken it completely out of context and morphed it for sake of religious tradition. And so Jesus rightly calls them hypocrites. But I have to wonder, 
Are we guilty of that also in our own religious contexts? Maybe, in some aspects. So that's something, that's a nugget for you to think about. The reality is, is that the world is broken. That's why the law was there to begin with, right? Adam and Eve made a decision. Sin entered the world, relationship with God was severed, it was broken. And so God tried to make a way, giving them the law. This is what righteousness is. And our friends, the Pharisees, in this context, is they're totally missing the point for right living versus righteousness. Okay? It's interesting because in our own brokenness, whether we call ourselves Pharisees or not, we are all broken. We enter this world broken. And we do, I, I do whatever I can to try to fix it, right? And sometimes that can look like really good things, like fitness, treating my body well, serving others. For, uh, for some other context and other people, it could be drugs, alcohol, work, success. It all ends in the same place. You get kind of snapped back into that brokenness because we cannot fix it on our own, right? So aside from this, so I think what I'm seeing here is the Pharisees are living in this religion trying to solve the problem. They are going to live and die by their religious tradition because it's what they can control. This is what God said, I'm going to do it to the max, and somehow it is permutated across generations. And these standards are being set inappropriately. But what does Jesus say? Here Jesus says to us, and the people listening. None of that, the eating with unwashed hands, the what you eat and put inside your body is not what is gonna defile you. So he's basically setting the record straight. Rather, what are we responsible for? The words you speak come from the heart and that's what defiles you. For from the heart come evil thoughts, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander. Yikes. Right? Your emotions, your motives, your whys, your urges, all come from your heart. At this time, the, the word for heart is often listed first in a line of how we should honor God. Think about Deuteronomy. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. In Matthew, Jesus also says, um, love the Lord your God as the first commandment with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Everything starts at the heart, and that's why it's so important that we create practices and intention around what is going on in our hearts. Because we know our default setting is broken and I want to try to fix it and control it on my own. And that's, that's a Sarah Collier confession right there. Right? We are imperfect, and we are broken, and we can't, we try to solve it all day long, try to solve it all day long, but we can't. So that puts us in a weird spot. We know the heart is important. We know that's where everything comes from, our thoughts, our actions, our behaviors, our motivations. But what's our solution? I would argue, let's look and see what these people did. 
they turned to Jesus. First, they were bold enough to ask and engage with him and wrestle with him. We see that in verse 12. You realize you offended the Pharisees by what you just said? That's a pretty bold thing to say to Jesus, right? Even though he, he draws them in, he's like, okay, we're gonna have a sidebar. That was intense, we're gonna have a sidebar. And they lay it out there. So I ask you, with your heart stuff, the things that come out of your heart, those evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, lying, slander, all of these transgressions, those motives that come from within, are you bold enough to take those to Jesus and say, this is what came out, what am I to do with this? Maybe there's an opportunity to build some trust there. Also, intimate people with Jesus, like Peter, asks, explain this to me. Explain us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what, we, by what they eat. I don't know about you, when I've been going through the Gospels, like, I just see myself so much in the people who are following Jesus in the early days because they're like, okay, I will participate and I will collect all the fish from the miracle, but what just happened? <laughs> I feel like that a lot. Um, I see myself in them, you know. But people here are questioning in the come and see. Jesus is cool with it. He's like, here, let me tell you. Hey, you still don't get it? Hear and understand. Come on, get with it. I put my own spin on that. He's probably very kind. He's probably like, okay, okay, little lamb, here's what, here's what you need to know. Um, but, you know, but the Son of God, of course. Um, don't be afraid to question when he invites you to come and see. When you're reading and wrestling, invite him in. You don't have to fight that fight all by yourself. And he's big enough to show up and explain it to you or provide revelation. And sometimes when he does, you hear things you didn't expect, like the words out of your heart, that's what's going to mess up. I don't know about you, but I'm a parent to a young child, and um, I get dysregulated a lot where I'm at my max, I'm tired, I'm hungry, I'm just worn out. I'm weary, and I have no emotional stability left. You might find that when you're driving in traffic on 440. You might find that at, in your workplace when all of your files suddenly become corrupt and deleted. Um, you might find that when you're trying to pay for an entire uh, cart full of groceries and you forgot your credit card at home. That has actually happened to me recently. Um, but it's in those moments that the yuck surfaces. And it's scary when the yuck comes up. Things that you never thought from your heart, as we have learned, surface and you're like, I would never say that out loud. I would never act on that, whatever the, whatever the yuck is. But I challenge you to sit with that yuck and decide how to invite Jesus into the yuck because that's what he came for. He came in spite of our yuck and accepted us and loved us in spite of our yuck. 
because those, as we're learning, motivates our thoughts and our actions because they come from the heart. We see this in other places in scripture, um, such as James and Ephesians. So later writers in the early church keep recycling this idea that it's all about the heart. That's where you gotta have the heart in check. That's why I titled the sermon, From the Heart. Right, it's all from the heart. Let's start with square one, right? So, how can Jesus have the authority to even say this? It's a really good question. The reality is, Jesus, is, Jesus has the power to see through all the yuck. He has the power to see into our hearts. First Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, this is in the Old Testament before even Jesus came to earth. We see in one example of the difference of how God sees, and I think Jesus sees us, versus the way that we see each other. It says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. This is in context of selecting a king. There's gentlemen lined up, and Samuel has an idea. God says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So not only are we held responsible for the things that come out of our mouth from our heart, but God already knows it anyway. Yikes. It's intense stuff. Indeed. Um, so we have this issue. We have this brokenness. We have this attempt to control. We have this attempt to fix it, whether it's by a law, a religious tradition, good things, poor decisions, addictions, money, pride, you name it. But all roads are a dead end in the do-it-yourself world of heart repair. However, the reality is, is that it starts and it ends with love. God created out of love. He created us out of love in his image. And yet, through and in spite of the brokenness, Jesus came to earth to make a way when there was a way. He paid the penalty, the ultimate penalty, to repair that relationship. He suffered and he died on a cross for each one of us, for any sin that we ever committed that, we'll, or that we will ever commit. Whatever yuck transpires out of our mouths, and three days later, as he promised, he rose again, and he canceled out that sin that originally broke that relationship. And if you turn, literally turn, and believe that to be true, turn from your old ways, believe that to be true, you are promised to be a new creation. Does that mean that you won't have any yuck? Certainly not. You will have yuck, but it will have context, and it will be paid for by that ultimate sacrifice that you put your life in. So, Paul tells us of this truth. In Ephesians 2, he tells us, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sin, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander, of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. 
in the hearts. Listen for that. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of sinful nature. By our own very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. So all of those decisions, all of those self-help band-aids, you know, bungee cord relapse backs to try to fix the brokenness. It is God's grace that you have been saved, not your own doing. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus. So God can point us point to us in all future ages as an example of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he does for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God looks at the heart. Will it be easy? No. Because humanness is hard. Humanness is broken. This world is not our final destination. It's not intended to be. It's just a temporary dwelling place. So imagine us all camping out, pitched in tents for the temporary. But today I want to challenge us with this yuck. I want to challenge us with the aspects of each of our lives or or, um, ideas or feelings or spaces in our being that we haven't let in the light. And so I'm going to actually ask the worship band to come back up and join me here. And I'm going to have them play a little bit of a soft tune. As we reflect and examine our hearts. And as Trey said, it's Pentecost Sunday, right? We're celebrating the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and giving us the power that rose Christ from the dead. And I invite you to inquire about him or of him to seek you. To muck around, if you want to think about it that way. Muck around in in the the creek of your heart, looking for those spaces. Um, So whenever y'all are ready. And as you hear this music, I want to ask you to, in this examination, check in. Who does your heart belong to? Have you put your faith in Jesus, making him the leader, the boss, the king of your life, as we read in Ephesians? We aren't perfect, but Jesus is. Whatever kicked up for you, encourage you to take a step of faith, to lean into it, to lay it out there, 
God, what is this? Jesus, meet me in this. I can't solve it for myself. I don't know what to do with this. And as we close, I want to share a liturgy from Every Moment Holy. You may have caught him on, on the Instagram. This is a liturgy for one battling a destructive desire. Thinking about that evilness, the, the yuck, the muck that's in all of us. It says, Jesus, here I am again, desiring a thing that were I to indulge in it would war against my own heart and the hearts of those I love. O Christ, rather than let my life be thine. Take my desires, let them be subsumed in greater desire for you until there remains no room for these lesser cravings. In this moment, I might choose to indulge a fleeting hunger or I might choose to love you more. Faced with this temptation, I would rather choose you, Jesus, but I am weak, so be my strength. I am shadowed, be my light. I am selfish, unmake me now and refashion my desires according to the better designs of your love. Given the choice of shame, glory, let me choose glory. Given the choice of this moment or eternity, let me choose in this moment what is eternal. Given the choice of this easy pleasure or the harder road of the cross, give me grace to choose to follow you knowing that there is nowhere apart from your presence where I might find the peace that I long for. No lasting satisfaction apart from the reclamation of my heart. Let me build then my king, a beautiful thing by long obedience, by the steady progression of small choices that laid end to end will become like the stones of a pleasing path stretching to eternity and unto your welcoming arms and into the sound of your voice pronouncing, well done. Thanks for tuning in to New City Church's podcast. We hope today's message blessed you. For more information on who we are, what we do, how you can get involved in some resources for your faith, check out newcitynash.com. But until then, may God bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.